0: Amen. Acts 2 and 42 is where I've been preaching. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. As I mentioned, they were having the Lord's Supper in their homes from day to day. Or oh, just by the way, in terms of ministry, um, I've had uh, Jerry Hartless and Giles, a dear friend, he and his wife Janine. They're from South Africa. They run the rehab center there that is... as uh, is directed and managed by Jerry Hartless, a member of this church. You might wonder why I do that. We have people that have serious needs. And oftentimes in counseling, I find that when people are looking for a place to go where they can get help, and I face that with people close to me, that one of the determining criteria sometimes is the cost of treatment. And I just wanted you to be aware that we're connected in ways that can help you and with with areas your family might be struggling in that are discreet. And uh, I wanted you to know about that. They have a tremendous success rate because when people come into the church, they come in with problems. And just because you get saved doesn't always mean the problems go away either. Amen. So we're talking today about fellowship and with the Lord. Communion, the Bible said they continued in sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper, and in prayer. 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen. the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Those are the two verses that I spoke about when I was here last as I began to talk about the abiding presence of God. I want to turn to Mark chapter 4, a very familiar passage of scripture that all of us are intimately acquainted with and know very well. When they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "'Peace be still!' And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, "'Why?' Are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Remember that. How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another. And this word fear means they were in awe, like, whoa. Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? The word fear did not always mean terror. That's only one of its meanings. The word fear of the Lord, for example, in the Bible refers to the awe of God. Like we say, you know, something is awful. You know, all full, full of all. That used to mean that something was so awesome that it was full of being filled with awe. It's now changed meaning slightly, hasn't it? But I want you to notice that they were in awe. They feared exceedingly. I want to ask you a question before I begin because you've all heard this passage preached from Usually we deal with several things. Number one, the first issue that this passage always is used to address is the fact there are many storms in the course of human life. Storms are unavoidable. Second thing that it's usually used to point out is that Jesus was in the boat. And if you can wake Jesus up, he can stand up because as man, he gets tired and goes to sleep. But as God, he steps on the bow of the boat and says, peace, be still, and the storm abates. Those are usually the approaches that are taken to this passage of Scripture. They overlook one significant thing that I want to call your attention to this morning. But before I do, I do want to point out that the other two applications are entirely appropriate. There are many storms in the course of life. I don't know about you, but it seems to me like there's a new storm every day. I mean, we're having storms constantly, unrelenting, battering, billowing, raging storms, storms in politics. Have you ever seen such a stormy time in politics? Storms in international affairs among nations. Look at North Korea. Storms in healthcare. Storms in the economy. Storms in the NFL. (laughs) Who would have ever thought it? Storms in the weather of every kind, amen, uh, or rather of the kind that swept through here just a month ago, and they're all real storms. In other words, they don't have to just have rain, and they don't have to have wind for it to be a storm. You're going to have a storm in your marriage. I wish I could hear an amen. Have you noticed that there are no simple disagreements anymore? People don't have simple disagreements. Am I right? It goes from zero to 180 miles an hour just that fast. Have you watched those videos on YouTube about people cutting one another off in traffic? And I'm telling you, people will go into a rage like right now. It's a symptom of the extraordinary stress that people are living with every day. Don't you wish... And I'm asking this for a reason, that we could all just tone down the rhetoric. How would you like to live in a world where it was a little more peaceful and a little more calm? Amen. Do you know why some people cannot do that? It's because it's symptomatic of the storm that's going on in their own heart. They can't tone it down because there's too big a storm going on in the inside. There is a way to have peace for me and you, though. In spite of the conflict, in spite of the storms, in spite of North Korea, in spite of the NFL controversy, in spite of the economy, in spite of whatever's going on, there's a way for you to have inward peace. Now, I I will say this, all of those out there could have it too. Kim Un, whatever his name, Jong Un, or, or Rocket Man, or whatever He could have peace too. If they followed what I'm about to teach this morning. The simple truth is we need God. I'm reminded of the old bumper sticker. No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. You don't have Jesus in your life, you're not going to know peace. I want you to pray with me. For the next few minutes today, I want to talk to you about abiding in the presence of the Lord. Father, I ask that you would somehow give me the articulation and the words and the spirit-guided assistance to be able to communicate this most vital of all truths to the people of this house. We need it right now. As believers, we always have, but it's become more profoundly Needed as time as mortstone, Teach us how to abide in the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen. amen? When I last spoke a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a kingdom principle that has the power to change your life and the world around you. And that is not an exaggeration. Let's visit it once more. Are you ready? This is the principle. What you are conscious of and what you're thinking of And what your emotions are focused on creates an atmosphere that you, in turn, are releasing around you. You create an atmosphere. With your thoughts and your emotions and whatever they are directed toward, you're constantly creating an atmosphere whether you realize it or not. That atmosphere, in turn, affects everyone that is near you. This was just confirmed within the last two weeks in a new research study finished and completed at the University of Warwick in Coventry, England on what is called social contagion. I'm going to talk about some things that you might not feel have any application to your life for a few minutes, but trust me, I'll bring it down to where you live. Social contagion, there's a new word for you. This study is significant because it helps science understand Why, say, someone who is depressed releases a spirit of sadness around them that affects others? Have you ever noticed that? Or why, if someone in a crowd panics and screams and begins to run, others will do the same thing without trying to find out why, or before they find out why, the first person has acted that way. If someone is afraid, they release an atmosphere of fear. It also explains how people can get, if you've watched some of these riots, you have wondered how people can get pushed over the edge. And the next thing you know, they're burning, destroying buildings and cars and just it reaches a point of, of mob insanity. And you wonder where that comes from. It is because of the concept or the principle of social contagion what happens is anger begins to build. And then this one here, who would never act in this way by himself, gets caught up in the spirit of social contagion. It is something that was once called the group mind. And the thesis is, is that in a group of 100 people, there aren't 100 minds, there's 101 minds. Whatever the predominant thought or the emotions The feelings of that crowd are directed is where others who come into that group will also begin to direct their feelings. The same thing is also true with very positive emotions. Have you ever been around somebody that just started laughing and you couldn't help yourself? This is actually the result of a social experiment conducted for this purpose. Watch it if you would. Put it up there. Getting cameras ready. Stand by. Action. Now watch, without a word being said. Everybody busy doing their own thing, right? you're even laughing. (laughs) If you're in a place and a group of people come in who are really happy about something, you probably have noticed how they release happiness into the atmosphere. This is social contagion. It's the same thing that takes place when you go to a football game and your team is winning and you get excited and it spreads like electricity. The same study found that the stronger the connection you have with the people who are around you, when you begin to release that atmosphere, the stronger the impact it is on them. The people you just saw were total strangers. A social experiment set up and conducted to prove this point, And these individuals were from different ethnicities. You saw some Asian, some that looked Middle Eastern, some Anglo, some black and it didn't make any difference what their ethnicity was. There's something about even the contagion of laughter, the projection of this atmosphere, that among strangers elicited the same response. They created an atmosphere. But had they known each other, they claimed that the impact is even greater. Now you say, why is this principle important and worth talking about It's important because it not only works in the emotional realm, it also works in the spirit dimension as well. The atmosphere you create spiritually is impacting people all around you. I wish I could hear an amen. And that is because there's a very strong connection between your emotions and the state of your soul. Man is, according to Scripture, a tripartite being. You are body, soul, and spirit. It is the understanding of the struggle between these three components which vie for dominance in your life that is literally the foundation of modern psychoanalysis. Now probably none of you are getting ready to go out there and become a psychoanalysis, so I don't want to bore you, but I want to teach you something. Long before Sigmund Freud ever developed his theory of the id, the ego, and the superego, the tripart existence of the human being, the Bible had already declared that's what we were. And when Freud began to talk about the id, the ego, and the superego, he was just literally renaming the components that the Bible calls your mind or your body, your soul, and your spirit, those three things. Along came others. There have been a number of different studies that have been done in schools of psychoanalysis. Now, that doesn't interest you, but I want to show you the accuracy of the Bible. Long before Dr. Eric Burney developed transactional analysis, which is another school of counseling that teaches us that every one of us are a child, an adult, and a parent all programmed in. Child, adult, a parent. The Bible had said we were body, soul, spirit. This child, this adult, this parent, or this id, this ego, superego, every one of those correspond to what Paul was talking about when he said we're body, soul, and spirit. For example, the id is the base human desire. It's what the Bible calls the flesh. It's what Dr. Eric Burney called the child within us. That wants to do anything like a helpless Hapless, irresponsible child, wah, if I don't get my way. I want to be fed, and I want to be fed right now. I want this, and I want it right now. I want candy, I want it right now. I want to go out and play and chase the ball in the street, and I want to do it right now. And I'm not going to think of any consequences. Both the id and the child, or what the Bible calls the flesh, watch it now, the flesh never thinks of the consequences of its decisions. You have on the other side the spirit because you're not really a body. What looks at you when you look in the mirror is not really you. That's just the house you live in. I need an amen right there. Because someday that house is going to get old and it's going to decay. And that's going to be the end of that house. Amen. But you have a spirit that lives inside of you. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. It's the spirit nature. Amen. And the Bible said the flesh and the spirit are warring against each other, constantly fighting. Galatians 5, 17, For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not to do whatever you want. Did you see that? It doesn't say so that you can't do whatever you want. It said so that you're not to do. Whatever you want. That is exactly the opposite of the teaching of the world we live in right now. It's telling you do whatever you want. Listen to your flesh. Not your spirit. Your flesh is saying, I want to go have sex outside of marriage. But the spirit is saying, you do that, you're going to blow your life apart and hurt a lot of people too. The flesh is saying, let's go do drugs. What's wrong with legalizing marijuana? The spirit is saying, look. You're living your life the wrong way. You know, you have to make decisions that are consistent and responsible for directing you toward the achievement of your goals in life and your destiny. So there's this constant tug of war. The flesh says, let's go get drunk. Let's go party. Let's forget about paying bills. Let's just go have a good time. That's the flesh. The Spirit is saying, hold on, check that right now. Because look, all you're doing is feeding the the desires of the child or what freud called the id can i hear an amen from somewhere out there and you know what really helps make the decision as to which one of these two win it's the emotions the emotions your experience with god is not just about how you live it's also about how you feel and rather you're enjoying life. Look at Romans fourteen seventeen. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is the kingdom of God? It's not just what we eat or drink, which is works, but it's living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's not just what you do. It's also how you feel because peace and joy are emotions. Say that. Peace and joy or emotions. Here's what happens. When you are not in relationship with God, which is the most satisfying single experience that man can know, because you were created to be in communion with him. Hello, somebody. And I don't care what you have or what you do, or how many affairs you get involved in, or how many parties you go to. I want you to know that if you don't have peace with God, that is empty and it will never be satisfying. Empty. It may satisfy the flesh for a little while, but it grieves the spirit man. And you know what? What makes the difference here is can you say no to the desires of the flesh and yes to the desires of the spirit? What determines that is what is your emotional state of mind? Because if you're full of the joy of the Lord, that is our strength. If you have peace, you have joy. The kingdom of God is two-thirds emotions. It's only one-third works. Look at it. It's right there. Kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness is one. Peace is two. Joy is the third. Two of those are emotions. Amen. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 8-9, Whom have ye not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believe in you, rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do you stay consistent in this race to be a child of God and reach the end of your journey and receive the salvation of your soul, the redemption of your soul when you meet God? How do you do that? You have joy unspeakable and. And let your experience be filled with glory. If you don't have this joy, you don't have this peace, you don't have the what I'm talking about right now, you've got a war going on inside where the flesh is saying, feed me, feed me. I don't care what the outcome is. I don't care who I hurt. I don't care if I hurt. destroy my kids, my grandchildren. I don't care if I trample over my wife or my husband. I don't care if I betray them. i hide. I won't let them know <laughs> I'm going to feed the flesh. And you've got the Spirit Saying, look, that's not right. That's not right. You better make some intelligent decisions in life. And you better make decisions that build a future instead of destroying one. And what determines whether you can do that or not is where is your emotional state of mind right now? Now watch this because this is really important. When you look at Paul's study of the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit... In Galatians chapter 5, he talks about nine fruit of the Spirit. Have you ever noticed that most of those are emotions? And if they're not emotions, they are actions that are directly attributable to these godly emotions. Watch this. Here they are. I'll read them for you. They are, look, love, that's that's an emotion. Joy is an emotion. Peace is an emotion. Long-suffering is the result of an emotion. So is kindness. You can't be kind if your emotional state of mind is agitated and inflamed. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these are the result of actions. It's a lifestyle that has been determined because the emotional state of mind is where it needs to be. On the other hand, look at his list of the works of the flesh. Hatred, jealousy, anger, selfish ambition, which is greed. Wow, it starts out with emotions that are negative, and these negative emotions lead to negative actions. The works of the flesh are actually the result of negative emotions. Now, why am I saying all of this? What does it mean? It means that when you're filled with the Spirit, that God wants to come into your life and change your very emotions. Oh, I need an amen out there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Some people have a good time being sad. You know what I'm talking about? They enjoy pity. Look, when God saves you, he wants to lift you up and elevate your life and give you joy unspeakable. And that becomes a powerful tool in restraining the flesh. But on the other hand, if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, and remember the strength of the Holy Spirit is the joy of the Lord. If you don't have that inside, whispering to you when the flesh is saying, let's go out and do something wrong. Nobody's here. Let's, let's go to the computer and pull up some porno. And you have that kind of thing happening. You don't have a restraining force whispering inside of you. And what the flesh is demanding, you don't have the power to withstand. And you're looking for a hit. And you're looking for some, some sense of, ah, I've got to get relief because you're all stressed out and the problems of the world are going on. And you find yourself giving in to things that are wrong. Now you say, how does that apply to what you're saying, Pastor? I'm glad you asked, because I want to tell you. We actually see this principle of social contagion, or what I have mentioned earlier has been called the group mind, at work in the very beginning of the early church. I want you to realize this is not new to the church. This whole thing of creating an atmosphere is extremely important. When the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them were people that had problems. I wish I could hear an amen. Amen. I've often thought I could have done a better job of picking 12 disciples than Jesus did. Because the chief one was Simon Peter and he was wishy-washy. Amen. It's terrible. He'd get mad and cut off somebody's ear just like that. But when these men were baptized with the Holy Spirit, something happened. Amen. And this principle of what they were feeling in their hearts and what they were focused on became a very powerful force because it now became applied to the things of God. Just put everything I've said on hold, and I'm going to explain it in a way, break it down where you can understand. Have you ever noticed that when you come to church, there's an uplift that occurs? You always feel better. Worship, preaching, you go home feeling better. Have you ever noticed that when you come back and we have another service, like a Holy Spirit encounter on Sunday night, the effect of that is so much more dramatic? You know why? You've had more focus, as it were, placed on your mind as it is directed toward the things of God. Amen. Same thing is true in missions work. You go overseas, people will go from the church here, and they'll go to a missions project. And then they're in services or conferences all day long, and and they're doing the work of God and talking about God and hearing about God and hearing the Word of God and and discussing the principles of the Word of God and hearing about the teaching and going home and talking about that. Natasha, for example, whenever she comes, she I mean, they have conferences from morning until night. By the time that conference is over, you're so focused on God, it's unbelievable. You feel like you could almost raise the dead. And in that foreign context, people often ask me, Pastor, why do they see more miracles overseas than they do here? I'm, I'm getting ready to explain it to you. Because when you're in service from morning until night, day after day, what happens is your attention that is literally is spread and dissipated over a wide area of concerns. Your focus now is narrowed to the things of God. The rest of the time it's scattered here and there. But because of the constant activity of services and the word and preaching and worship, man, your faith begins to soar because you're focused on God. What's happening is what you're focusing on is creating an atmosphere of faith. Can I hear somebody in the building say hallelujah? You're literally focusing on God and what you focus on is what you're releasing. When believers have a great awareness of God's presence, there is also a great, watch this now, awareness of his power. So when you're focused on God, you're focused on his power also, because you can't talk about him without knowing he's the high and the mighty and lofty one. You can't talk about him without knowing this is the one that sits on the circle of the earth. Hallelujah. This is the one that walks across the heavens and the clouds are his footsteps. Hallelujah. You can't talk about him without realizing this is the one that measured the waters of the ocean in the palm of his hand. God is mighty. And so when you're focused from morning till night on God and his presence... You become also aware of his power. That is what we call faith. You are literally creating an atmosphere of faith. Faith, in turn, causes an exponential release of God's authority. I think back to the last Holy Spirit encounter that we had. And sitting in the service this morning, and I mentioned it, there was Joy and and Austin Griffith. They're contractors, members of the church. She's in the medical profession one of the best nurses in the, in the med center. She was having a heart attack the last time Lloyd Bustard was here. And you will notice that when Lloyd comes, he, he begins to minister and then he'll get one little word from God. And he'll say that and like electricity, it starts crackling in the audience. In fact, I turned the last time to whoever was sitting beside me. I'm trying to remember who it was. And I said, watch it, here it comes right now. <laughs> Amen. It, because it, it starts like a little trickle And he, he got a word from God and somebody responded to that because, and then he got another word from God and then he stopped and he said, joy, joy was actually having a heart attack at that moment. She said, pastor, she said, I am a trained cardiological nurse. I know what was happening. I was having ventricular tachycardia, and it had led to a heart attack. And she said, I was turning to my husband to say, Austin, dial 911, when suddenly Lloyd stopped and said, Joy. And she was talking, trying to get her husband's attention, so he didn't, she didn't respond. And he said it again, Joy. And he said it the last time in a very commanding way, if you remember. Joy, where are you? Stand up right now. And it cut through and got her attention. And she stood up and he wheeled around and said, Joy, you're healed in Jesus' name. She said, Pastor, the moment he said that, the heart attack stopped. I have been healed ever since without a problem. And she said, I'm not making this up. I know what was happening to me because this is how I earn my livelihood. And with tears streaming down her face, you know what she told me? She said, Pastor, I found out God knows my name. I'm sorry, I feel the Holy Spirit in this house right now. It started with a little simple word over here and then another word over here. And the next thing you know, there had been an atmosphere of faith created and we started having bona fide miracles. I received one that night. I have not had the back problems from that day till now that I was having for 14 years. Amen. I'm telling you, God is a healer. Hallelujah. Because when there's an atmosphere of faith created it releases exponential authority, spiritual authority. Here's the way it works. Focus on God. It releases an atmosphere of God's presence. And when you begin to focus on God, it recreates an atmosphere of faith. And when you have created an atmosphere of faith, it releases divine authority. God begins to work. I need somebody in the building to say hallelujah. This is exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2, and I want to show you how it works. The Bible said when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and everybody say this with me, and it filled the house, whole house, say it, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared into them like a uh, and there appeared unto them divided tongues as a fire one set on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So I want to ask you a question. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1, there were 120 in the upper room. 120. Who received the Holy Spirit first? Did Peter? James? John? Oh, I know. Mary, the mother of Jesus, surely, Right? Oh, uh, How about this, Mary Magdalene? No. You know who received the Holy Spirit first? The room did. Look at it. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. What that's talking about is what they have identified as social contagion. What actually happened is they created an atmosphere. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. And when the atmosphere got saturated, it created critical mass. And everybody in the atmosphere got filled with it too. Hallelujah. That's what happens in a revival meeting. At this point, you might even be saying, but who cares? I have no intention of ever being a psychologist. I don't make my living in marketing. Why would I ever want to know how to change an atmosphere? I'll tell you why. The failure of the modern church to understand this has led to the modern church not always doing what it has done since the foundation of the church from its very beginning till now. From its beginning, believers practiced the presence of God. Nowadays, we have come to a strange, awkward place in Christianity where believers no longer manifest the presence of God and walk in it. We visit God every Sunday. Oh, I need a, I need a response right there. Amen. We, that, that's a truth, whether you admit it or not. We go to church and we visit God like we would visit our dear old sick aged granddad in the nursing home on Sunday afternoon. We go visit God and we get uplifted and we walk out feeling good and clapping our hands and we got our minds on God, but come Monday, it's the real world again. And for six days a week, we are who we are and we have become Christians on Sunday. Oh yeah, I'm talking to you right now. I'm preaching to you. And we're like the disciples. You want to know why I mentioned that text? We've got Jesus in the boat, but he's sleeping right now. We're not focused on him. We're not connected to him. We're not talking with him. We're not interacting with him. And the next thing you know, we sail into a full-blown storm. And then we got to panic. Help! Whoa, Jesus, where are (laughs) you at? Save me, Lord! Don't you care, I'm about to perish, Because while we're in church, we focus on him. But when we're out in the world, we're focusing on everything else. Believers are getting caught up in all of this agitation out there. Yes, they are. Shame on you if you're getting all messed up by this stuff that's going on. You need to walk in the peace of God. You need to have the peace of God in your life. Amen. I told you a moment ago that when you go on a missions trip, you get all caught up in the presence of God. And some people come back and they want to sell everything, quit their jobs, and move overseas. And if God called you to do that, by all means, go do it. But if you didn't, you better not. Amen. But the reason they do is they're overwhelmed by the presence of God and they think it's stronger over there. No, it isn't. The reason you felt it more is you were focused on it more. I'm talking to you right now. You go off to a conference somewhere and you're in church from morning till night. Oh, I want to move to that church because they've got the presence of God. Really? You know why? Because from morning till night, you were focused on God. And it created an atmosphere of faith. And when you have an atmosphere of faith, you have a release of divine authority and things begin to happen. This is my thesis. What I'm talking about this morning is simply this it was never meant to be something that occurred every once in a while. We're supposed to be carrying it with us wherever we go. Look at Isaiah 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Or look at the New Living Translation, you will keep in perfect peace. Say it with me, all whose thoughts are fixed. What should your thoughts be on right now? This mess in the NFL, North Korea, financial problems, political chaos? No, your minds ought to be focused on him. Because anything else you focus on, there's no peace in that. There's no harmony in that. Hello, somebody. There's no joy of the Lord in that. Hallelujah. Psalm 16 and 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So you pray, God, show me the path of life. And what he says, get in my presence. Because in my presence is fullness of joy. When you're conscious of the presence of the Lord being with you and near you, you release it wherever you go. Which is why I think that as believers, we ought to get in the habit of before we go into a building, we're going to do our shopping, we've got our family, turn around and look at them and say, guys, let's focus on God right now. And as we walk out of here, let's have the Lord in our thoughts. Amen. And be thinking how grateful you are for everything God's done for you. And you walk in that restaurant or you walk in that mall, you're releasing the presence of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And it becomes contagious. People begin to feel that and don't know what it is. This is why if you've ever had the experience of standing at a cash register and somebody comes up to you and says, what's different about you? If you've ever had that experience, this is actually what's going on. You're releasing an atmosphere. Amen. Amen. You should always be conscious of the presence of the Lord. The reason that we don't walk in the dimension of the supernatural, as I said, is that we visited God. And we're just like the disciples in the boat. We sail right into the middle of a storm. Is Jesus with us? Yes. But is there a connection? No. He's asleep in the bow of the boat. And so you always hear sermons preached about they woke Jesus up. And so we figure what we got to do is go wake Jesus up. Let me tell you something better than that. Stay connected to him when there's no storm. Keep him in your thoughts the whole time. He knew there was a storm coming. Oh, I'm preaching right now. Listen to what the psalmist said. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. You don't have to visit God. You can walk in the manifest presence of the living God. Amen. John fifteen and four abide if abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And then our our text to bring it full circle and I close. Second Corinthians thirteen fourteen. We've been talking about the disciples had communion in their homes. What does communion mean? Because it's another word that Paul picks up and uses in this text. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. The word communion there means koinonia or fellowship. And as I taught you a few weeks ago, what it means is, is when you sail out your door on Monday morning, you got another fellow in the ship with you. And his name is Jesus. You can walk in the abiding presence of God. You can live there. And what usually happens as we go through life is we get focused on God on Sunday, but by Monday, all of that's dissipated by football games and 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 uh, America's Got Talent or whatever it is. And next great voice, well, what's that, that? That one about the voice? Where the? That's what it's called, the voice. Four chairs turn around, hopefully. Amen. Sometimes no chairs turn around. But, okay. We're, we're captivated by all that and the latest news cycle and everything else. And our minds are not fixed on him. The early Quakers used to say when people would get upset, they had a phrase that they would use. And when fellow believers in their community would get upset, something would go wrong, a tragedy would happen, they would turn to their believe, fellow believer and they would say, center down. I mean, get focused again on the center, Christ in you. Everybody say that phrase. Center down. Next time you feel like telling somebody your IQ on the freeway because they cut you off, okay? Center down. Center down. Focus on God again. Amen. Next time you want to flash a few gang signs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Make them think you're reaching for an AK-47 or something like that. Center down. Focus on Jesus. Amen. And so I'm closing. I want to share with you what's worked with me in my life. It took me years. I started out visiting God. I didn't know that I could always walk in his presence. And during the years, I've gradually come to the place that one day it occurred to me. I just, I just looked around and I, I realized that he, he's always there now. When I come in that door right there and come in and sit down, he walks in with me. And when I leave here a little after one o'clock today and get in my car, he's going to come in and sit right beside me, amen, as I get in my car to leave. I have learned to abide in the presence of God. There was a time that I used to be just like the disciples, and don't we make fun of them, don't we ridicule them. Ah, oh, they had to go wake Jesus up. I've been there. I've been there when I've been focused on my own stuff and busy rowing and getting to the other side and the destination ahead and whether the sailing is going well or not and are you doing your share over there? And, and then the storm comes. And the next thing you know, Jesus, Jesus, I need you now. I need to make a connection, Lord. I need to wake up. I, I need you to, need you to, 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 to rouse now. and I need you to come too. I need, to, I need us to be connected And the truth is, is that you are meant to be connected every day, all day, for the rest of your life. Stand with me if you would right now.